Hey everyone, this is Jamie Bateman. Real quickly, I wanted to share with you something uh, that's been pivotal in the growth and success of my businesses, and that is my partnership with Haven Financial Services. Um, I've been working with Haven for over a year now. Christine Valdez was on episode 70 of this podcast. So go check that out if you want to hear her story. It was a fantastic personal story for sure. But Haven has been awesome. They provide me with monthly reports that are super clear and discernible. And it, that provides me with clarity and focus so that I can do what I do best, which is running my businesses, not preparing financial reports. Um, again, if you're in the market for a top-notch financial service company, uh, or if you just want to check one out, go to www.jamiebateman slash Haven and check out Haven Financial Services. Again, that's jamiebateman slash Haven. I uh, can't recommend them enough. Christine and her team have been fantastic. So I definitely recommend you check out Haven Financial Services at www.jamiebateman forward slash Haven. Let's get back to the show. In this episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast, I got the chance to chat with Emma Powell of the High Rise Group. Emma is a commercial real estate investor, a homeschooler of six. Um, she's been featured on the Bigger Pockets podcast, uh, as well as in uh, Business Insider and some other outlets as well. She's really impressive. Um, however, the years leading up to the pandemic were quite a struggle for her. We get into the passing of her father, her brother's uh, cycling accident, which was very serious, and then a, a extremely sad situation with her uh, sister's son. Um, not not to mention the challenges that come along with homeschooling, as well as um, a lot to do with her husband's job um, instability, and which really led to Emma's, I guess, path down toward real estate and um, her shifting of her priorities we talk a lot about recently, a recent shifting where she thought she wanted to scale, scale, scale and be super active in commercial real estate. And now she's actually created a, an investor club so that she can actually be a bit more passive herself. So I think there's a lot that the average listener can relate to in this episode. Um, she's certainly been through a lot of trials and tribulations. And but she does not take the the victim mentality whatsoever. Super impressive. Um, she definitely takes ownership of her situation and you know puts her family first. And there's just a, a lot of a lot of selfless ac um, action that you'll get from her, and a lot of uh, positive inspiration. And I know you're going to like this one. Inspiring stories of real people overcoming incredible odds to live life to the fullest. We are all guaranteed to face hardships. How will we handle the adversity? Join us to be moved by everyday people who have turned poverty into prosperity and weakness into wealth. Be inspired as these relatable heroes get vulnerable and former counterintelligence investigator Jamie Bateman puts his interviewing skills to the test. Restore your faith in humanity as you experience true Cinderella stories of average people turning surreal struggle and deep despair into booming businesses and financial fortune. Take ownership of the life you are destined to live and turn your adversity into abundance.
Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Bateman. And today, I'm really excited to have Emma Powell of the High Rise Group with us today. Emma, how are you doing? Doing great. Awesome. Yeah, we were chatting beforehand a little bit. And um, every uh, everything we covered made me more interested in your story. So I'm, I'm uh, excited to dive in a little bit here. So for the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, could you give us a little bit of context from today, you know, the last couple of years, as far as who you are and what you've, uh, what you're up to? Yeah, I have to put myself back together a little bit. It's like a little mini therapy session there in the, <laughs> in the pre-show. Um, it's a topic uh, for your show you've got here. Um, so I think where I am today, really, most like with most people, it's all mostly a result of the adversities that we've been through. And so if you want to look back on when we first uh, relocated to Utah, it it was from Austin where we felt like we were going to raise our kids and spend the rest of our lives there. Um, And then through a series of layoffs from the tech industry, my husband worked in um, chip manufacturing and then in IT for data science startups. And the tech industry is just notoriously unstable as far as Uh, jobs go. They hire, they fire. And so we had been watching that for years and I had really never taken proper precautions um, on my own self or for my own responsibility to protect our family from that volatility. And so um, the last time he got laid off, uh, we were just in a a pretty tough position and we relocated to Salt Lake City. And with me not having a job, my business was was back in Austin. I, I didn't want to rebuild that. And so sitting here, across the country, very short notice. I think he got laid off the week before Thanksgiving of 2017. And we were in Utah, settled into our, our rental house um, the first weekend of February of 2018. And so it was, it was pretty rapid, which we were lucky he found a job so fast. Um, And so, but at the same time, it was, it was, it was so rapid and I was just so lost. Um, We got rid of everything we owned. We didn't have any debt, which was kind of an easy move from that standpoint. And I, I joked the house was spotless and the kids were getting a little bit older. My youngest was in kindergarten at that point. And I was just bored and didn't have a business, didn't have a point, didn't have a purpose. Um, my kids were having so much fun just exploring the new house, exploring the new neighborhood. And, and I just didn't have anything going on. And so out of that adversity, I thought, well, this is an opportunity for me to invent myself in the way that I've always had a lot of excuses for why I've never done before I didn't have time. I didn't have money. I didn't, cause we'd sold that house in Texas and suddenly I had a lot of time and I had money and I just decided that it was time to stop looking at hard things that happened and all the reasons and the obstacles of why we couldn't do something and just went out and did it. So I built a real estate business, a commercial real estate investing business. So, and how many kids do you have? Did you say? Yeah, we have six kids. And, so. and you, we're just going to gloss over it. You, you know, you had nothing going on. Um, got it. Okay. <laughs> All right. But so, right. Your commercial, so right. t- talk about your, uh, <laughs> your commercial real estate business and then we'll jump back. Um, so what does that look like today? Um, I'm actually uh, in the process of scaling it down. And I think that was, that was again, through when you, when you grow to a certain point where you have to ask yourself that question, like, why am I, why am I doing this and getting the systems and processes in place where you have to ask yourself, am I going to scale this bigger? Um, and am I going to make a big business out of this? Or when it got to the point where I could no longer handle it by myself because I was dropping balls, you know, you're juggling too many balls. Um, and then I had to ask myself, uh, do I want to keep going with this or 
was the whole reason I got into this to have passive income and spend more time with my family. Now, the answer to that was passive income and more time with my family. But, but at the beginning, when in 2018, I remember specifically saying, I need a job. I need something mm-hmm. to do. I need some active investing because otherwise it's, it's me just collecting mailbox money and watching cat videos on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you, you were trying to, you know, I don't want to say you weren't, it sounds like you had that some a bit of unfulfilled, um, you wanted to serve more of a purpose outside of your family or, you know, I don't know how to phrase that, but it wasn't just the, the mailbox money. It was, mm-hmm. it was, you wanted to add value and do something notable. It sounds like, um, and then now maybe you've done that and, and you're trying to scale it down a little bit. Is that, is that true? Yeah. Okay. So 2018, you were looking to do something outside of the home and make some ex- extra income. And then where did things go from there? Yeah. So I, I had a, a real estate and wedding photography business in Austin and I was doing it part-time. I knew I didn't want to work more than part-time because I do really enjoy spending time with my kids and I do really enjoy homing, homemaking activities. I have a lot of hobbies. I, so, and I played piano and garden and, and like to play sports and just do all those, those kinds of things. But at the same time, I have this thing where I want to go outside and and build something, build a business, build in my community. And so I really like the idea of part-time homemaker and part-time business person. Um, and I realized when I was so bored um, after my husband laid off and then he got his new job, uh, part of the reason that we weren't living the passive income lifestyle where uh, we, my kids were homeschooled and I was home and he wasn't. And he didn't work that far away. I think it was like a five minute commute. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, it's like, we couldn't go wander around and travel and do the things because he was still working. And at that time, I wasn't really thinking that I was going to retire him. It was more like I was trying to protect us from the layoffs, protect us from the the hardship. And Mm -hmm. when that mindset kind of shifted around to this business had the possibility to not only protect us from hardship, but also lead us into abundance. That was where it really changed. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like, now I need something to do to keep myself busy because Mm -hmm. whether inside the home or outside the home, Mm -hmm. if I can free him from the need to be making money and to go into the office, then that's when I don't actually need a part-time job inside, outside the home anymore. We can go do all of these things together. And so that was when I realized I don't really want to build this huge business. And I think he put it best um, when I was struggling with this, this thing, should I scale or should I not? And he said, well, I don't want to just get to the point where I'm ready to quit my job. And we've just replaced my job with your job. He goes, then I'm the one on board. (laughs) We just traded problems basically. basically. Um, Gotcha. Okay. So we'll get, we'll get into that some more, but um, let's back up kind of into your your story a little bit more, um, you know, historically, you can pick it up wherever you'd like. We touched on several things before we hit record the first time. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. And, uh, you know, Sorry. <laughs> so, I mean, we, I think a lot of the things you've dealt with, and, and this is not me trying to judge, it's just, I think a lot of people will be able to relate to several of the things you've gone through. Right. Um, so, pick it up where you'd like to. Um, you mentioned a couple, you mentioned your parents, um, before we hit record, you mentioned your husband's, uh, you know, uh, I guess instability with, with his employment and, um, I mean, just homeschooling six kids and that's, that's, that's enough adversity for me right there. Just that, but, um, uh, yeah, pick it up where you'd like to, and, and we can dive into some of the challenges that you have faced personally and with your family, 
um, and kind of your mindset and getting through those, those obstacles and challenges? Well, um, last fall, um, my sister's teenage son passed away from cancer and he had been battling with it for about two years. And, um, at the end with, which is common with cancer, um, it was very, very sudden. It went from, he's, he's having a new round of chemo. He has this chance of survival to getting that phone call. Um, he's going home and it took probably three days at that point. Um, wow. Very, very sorry to hear that. Yeah. So that opened an opportunity for me to just take a closer look at my life and spend some time with some therapists and it opened some doors that I didn't know needed to be looked at. And so sometimes that's, that's the experiences we get from those. Um, and the year before when my father passed away, um, that was difficult. That was obviously extremely difficult, but at the same time he was 83 mm-hmm. and we had the experience where he had had a heart attack a month or, or two months before he passed away, where we all gathered into Seattle. It was before the pandemic. Um, it was uh, the fall of 2019. And so we were in his hospital room. We were in the nursing home with him. We had wonderful experiences. We said what we needed to say. Um, and even though we could have continued to enjoy great times together, we didn't feel like there was anything unsaid. Um mm-hmm. And so it was a beautiful experience that I felt like was really bonding for my siblings and me. And we were able to, to say goodbye to him in a way that had dignity and celebrated his life. Um, it was very, it was very different watching um, my nephew battle cancer during COVID and be isolated in the hospital. And then eventually at age 17, um, lose that battle. And so um, afterwards, I, you know, when I was talking with my therapist and she was just asking about trauma experiences. And I started talking about things that I never really let bother me before. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would see her eyes widen and her eyebrows go up and she would start scribbling notes. I have a brother who's a quadriplegic from a a cycling accident. Um, he actually lives near me. He, he, we moved here four years ago and he he's been here a couple of years before us. And so I, I hadn't had like up close and personal, his battle with, with, um, you know, his new life basically. Um, and seeing it more close and personal now and realizing it's not just the fact that you can't walk. It's, it affects every part of your physiology and your mental health. It's, um, right. Yeah. I, uh, and this, this is in no way, it's just me relating on -hmm. some level. Right. But, um, I I guarantee some of the, my friends are going to make fun of me for even bringing this up again, but I ruptured my Achilles last year. And, and, and this is not a sympathy. (laughs) It's not for me, but, but the point is it affected, I couldn't drive for three months. Mm -hmm. Right. And it affected our family in so many ways that I never even thought about. It was just like, Oh, my leg is the problem. Right. Well, no, it's really, that was (laughs) the start of all the problems. Right. And so point being it, I mean, it, it created a lot of stress for our family. My wife had to drive the kids everywhere. It was just a lot of things I couldn't do. And I mean, just so that times 10 or a hundred is, is what, you know, what your brother 
has been dealing with. It's just so much more than just the physical um, ailment. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot. Um, and I think it sounds like you're, you're kind of like me in that we were talking beforehand that, you know, we don't, I, I, at least I will speak for myself. I, I tend to like keep things at a distance, you know, emotionally yes. to, which I think sometimes is, is the right move on some level, but, um, and not, if it's not front and center, then it's like, it's just easier to move forward, you know, without really facing someone else's adversity. And sounds like, it sounds like this is now you've had some things <laughs> kind of very much front and center, whether you like it or not. And um, so it, th- I mean, that's a lot right there. And then w- again, with the instability from the employment side and then just homeschooling to me, that's, I mean, you may think that's no big deal, but I, I think that's a lot of adversity <laughs> just uh, being from a big family myself. Like you said, you are, I can only imagine how much work that is in and of itself. Um, and I know you mentioned some of the challenges with um, I think one of your, your sons as well. Um, so yeah. Is there anything else you want to dive into as far as uh, kind of challenges you've, you've had to work through? Well, I think that, like I said, who we are and how we deal with these with these things that happen to us in our lives really has really speaks a lot to who we are on the other side of it. Um, I think it's funny that you brought up the Achilles because it's it's one of those little things. <laughs> so I have a, I have actually an Achilles um, disorder too, if we want to mm-hmm. name it that, and it actually stems from. I mentioned earlier back from when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I had a sudden um, appendix rupture and it, it was just rapid onset. Nobody knew what was wrong. Um, got into the hospital and I, I'm going to use the words almost died. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was really, really bad. Uh, emergency surgery. I was, I, I was out, I was down for, for quite a while and uh, had some pretty extensive um, antibiotic use afterwards, which, that does a number on your, your joints. And mm. so I've had mm. since that time, really a lot of problems with um, my joints. I've had some knee surgery and I've got an, an Achilles. It, they're just wearing out. I have a lot of pain. Right. And so um, I wouldn't call it chronic pain, but um, it's nagging. And so sure. one of my favorite hobbies is, is hiking. It's how I relax. It's how I like to spend my time. And so I just spend a lot of time um, working on working on my joint issues. And it's just Mm -hmm. kind of funny because when you have um, a situation like my, my brother's situation uh, and my sister has the same problem with her heels. So it's partially genetic and it's partially from the antibiotics. Um, Mm -hmm. She also had cancer during COVID. (laughs) And so we're complaining about our heels, but I feel like I'm not even allowed to talk about it because she has cancer. So our heels and our Achilles are just, we just don't bring it up. And so I think that, that sometimes, um, the denial that we're in that, that something is going on. And that's why I think working with a therapist was actually helpful because I don't, it's not like I'm at my brother's house helping him in the morning and get transferred to his wheelchair. It's not like I'm over there. I, we don't even, we don't even see each other all that often mm-hmm. um, when there's a crisis or a holiday or something. And I, there's mm-hmm. a lot of guilt there that I'm not able to, you just kind of feel helpless. And so I think mm-hmm. that, that, that dealing with these things, um, there's, there's just a lot and we have a tendency to just bury it and ignore mm-hmm. it or on the flip side to develop a, a victim mentality. And this is mm-hmm. going to hold us back. And here's why I can't do all the things I want to do because of all these hard things that have happened. And sometimes I even feel like inspiring stories from people who have overcome adversity is yeah. in a way demotivating because mm-hmm. what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? And Yeah. 
No, absolutely. You're right. I mean, it's, it's just like anything else. It's like either extreme is, is not good. Um, mm-hmm. So pretending you don't have problems or pretending you don't have emotions is, is not healthy. Um, but staying there stuck and wallowing and is not healthy either. Right. And so, and again, I'm not preaching to anybody. <laughs> this is uh, applies to me just as much as anyone else. But, um, and so that's an individual thing. I mean, as far as where's the, you know, the healthy zone for, for each person, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so, I mean, that's, the, that's, that's a lot. I mean, yeah. And, and as far as like, and this show, it just gets into, um, I mean, some of the things I didn't necessarily see coming were, uh, one was that it, it kind of sets us up to compare ourselves to other people yeah. based both, um, with the adversity level, you know, that people have been through or the types and I guess, you know, <laughs> probably bad choice of words, but quality and quantity of adversity and then quality and quantity of abundance. It's like, how do I compare to this person? Well, I think it's inevitable we, we do that. And it's, I actually was listening to a podcast about, about this yesterday um, that we, we do, that's just in our nature to, to compare. And I don't always think that's a bad thing because you can, you can look at like, you know, realize that your heel issue isn't really all that big of a deal compare if you do compare your your that adversity to someone else and i think that to me that's encouraging because okay someone else has been through this or something worse so i can too but you're absolutely right you can look at someone else's you know major accomplishments or how and, and just and that can backfire as well so yeah it's it's uh, these are complicated waters to to navigate i'd say um and certainly we're not trying to fix all the mental health issues in the world or address all these, solve all the problems in, in one uh, podcast episode. But um, so, so what would you say kind of, is there any kind of common theme as far as um, either your mindset or, or just one or two, maybe tactics you may not have even thought about this before, but that have enabled you to get through those various issues? Yeah, I'm um I'm definitely a big rocks kind of person and that goes to the analogy when you're trying to put a bunch of rocks, big rocks, small rocks and sand into a jar. If you focus on the sand first, then the big rocks won't fit, but if you put in the big rocks first, the sand will pour in and it'll fill in all mm-hmm. of the empty spaces. And so, um I mean, I've heard that analogy plenty of times and it never really struck me as, you know, mind-blowing when I heard mm-hmm. it, but as time goes on, I recognize that that's just the way that I deal with life. And that's the way that I solve problems. I like to find uh, one solution that will, that will spread out or trickle down and solve a lot of other, other -hmm. problems. And so I would say that um, there's a book that I read when I started homeschooling, especially when we really switch strategies to something called unschooling, where we're not doing a lot of formal education. And because like you said, six kids homeschooling, it would be too much work, it would be unsustainable. And so I'm trying to find a sustainable way to educate my children without making myself crazy. And so so finding the big rock that's going to solve all these problems, uh, there's this book in the unschooling community called Nonviolent Communication. And it was written by uh, somebody who worked in the international community doing a lot of um, negotiations, political negotiations, like um, Jewish and Palestinian, you know, over the Israeli borders kinds of situations. And his main premise in that book that that really hit me hard was you cannot control other people. And he didn't really say it that overtly, mm-hmm. but it's like the only thing that you can hope to do is communicate and you can't even make sure that they hear you. 
You can't even make sure that they understand you because that's what Mm -hmm. we say. We all just want to be heard, but we can't even control whether or not Mm -hmm. we're heard. All we can do is communicate. And then that's it. And the rest you need to let go. Mm -hmm. And so when I started recognizing that I could categorize my life by things that I I can control and things that I can't control, Mm -hmm. that eliminated pretty much everything. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. So you take the situation, let's take um, my son you, that you mentioned. Um, he has autism. We deal mm-hmm. with a lot of autism uh, in my family and, um, you know, people who have autism, who don't believe autism is a thing. It's, yeah. it's, um, <laughs> it's been, it's been fun to learn to deal with emotions and socializing and, and deal with adversity and all those kind of things. When, when you don't quite think about things the same way that other people do. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, you recognize that you can't control that situation and there's nothing you can do about it. And so you stop mm-hmm. worrying about it because we used to think with my son when he was growing up, like, what did we do? How did we cause this? Like my husband right, right. would would obsess over the way that he would come in and see that he was loading the dishwasher in the wrong way. And he'd say, no, the plates go this way and the bowls go that way. And then my son became very, very controlling and obsessive that certain things were the right way and you had to follow the rules. And this is not the way that it's done. And mm-hmm. my husband really thought that it was because he had these very particular ways of having him do things as a kid. And, he and was then blaming we, him. your husband was blaming himself, right? Blaming himself. But then we mm-hmm. step back and realize like, we cannot control the fact that our son has autism. We did not yeah. cause this. We did not create this. And once you let right. that go, then yeah. you can start focusing on, okay, how do we, how do we cope? Obviously he still has autism, but right. when you stop the blame game and you stop the what if game. So when you stop the, what if I could control this game, you only focus in on what you can control. Yeah. And what we notice is most of it goes away. The other parts of it, you really can get focused in on what you can control. And then the, there are a few things that you cannot control that you're still really upset about. Mm-hmm. It's really bothersome. It's really stressful. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that we found that we need to do some more inner work yeah. on. How to not let that stuff bother you. And you have two right. options there. You can either expand your, your circle of control or you can just learn how to stop letting it bother you. That's really interesting. And my son is autistic as well. And we um, actually just this morning had a, went on a school uh, trip to try to find a better, better fit for him. So we've dealt with some of that as well. And um, yeah, it's a couple of things that came to mind. One, one is that as you were talking, it's, you know, the fact that you can free yourself of worrying about things that you can't control. It's not only that it helps you personally, you know, Oh, that's great. You don't have to feel that stress. That that's that is good, right? But also, it's there's an opportunity cost there because you're not focused on the things you can control. So, I don't know if I thought about it that way until you were explaining it. But um, so I just you were talking about focusing on things you can control. Well, I think because you're if you're obsessing over did we cause this? You know, what did I do wrong? Well, you're not actually focused on things you can control, and therefore you're not as effective in in yeah. your impact. Um, so, and then, um, oh, the other thing I was going to quickly mention was my son in the last two weeks, he just made this and this is, it will likely change tomorrow. So I'm not, uh, spiking the football per se, but it's like, we always had this huge battle of getting him out of bed and getting him to school because he doesn't like school at all. And, and, um, you know, and then magically, I guess he saw that the end of the school year is, is almost here and for the last week, week and a half, he's been at my car in the morning waiting for me to go to school, you know, because, and so major turnaround 180 in his behavior 
what did we, what had we done to, to change that or cause that? Nothing. So a lot of it is you can't control it (laughs) is is the point. So, you know, and that goes both ways. Um, So that I found that very helpful as well myself. Um, Just when I, I actually had gone part-time, we talked about, I recently quit my job. I had gone part-time in 2015. And around that time, it was a big mindset shift. And I, and I've talked about this before, but it just, a huge piece of it was just not worrying about the mainstream media and all these things that are, you know, these topics are important. Politics, war, certainly important, but I have very little impact on them, if any. And so it just didn't do me any good or my family any good for me to be focused on those things. So I really started focusing on the things I could control and my team around me and things like that. But this uh, episode isn't about me, but uh, so <laughs> let's see. So, okay. So let's get back into the, the 2017, 2018 shift. And then we'll talk more about kind of what you have going on mm-hmm. today and I'll fire off some other questions. Um, so what did your 2018 to 2020 pre pandemic, what, what happened with your real estate business? Uh, well, we had that house that we had in Texas and that was supposed to be the forever home. It was a little ranch, the homestead, and we had the sheepdogs and the chickens and the goats and the whole nine yards. And, and, um, and that just, of course, like any dream that you have, once you start living in it, it just, it wasn't what we thought it would be. It was more expensive than we thought it would be. It just, and, um, we were kind of watching that unravel a little bit. So when he, he got laid off and we decided when we moved to Utah, that we were going to move back into a little neighborhood and give up on the whole farmstead thing. And so that was, that was kind of a tough, a tough mindset shift for us. And we thought, okay, we'll we'll just rent really cheap for a few years while we sort ourselves out. We didn't have any other debt. Um, and that's one of those, another situation, like the whole Dave Ramsey thing, like he -hmm. really blessed our lives in a lot of ways and he Mm -hmm. really harmed us in a lot of ways. And so So you went through like the, his programs or yeah, we living in Texas for so many years, uh, he's mm-hmm. really, really popular in the evangelical mm-hmm. Christian community and especially yeah. homeschooling in that area. Um, we spent a lot of time in some evangelical homeschool groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my kids went through the, the high school program, listening to him on the radio. Um, sure. and like I said, we we're from a very frugal family, very self-sufficiency type of type of preaching it family. Um, and so that really resonated us with us in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. uh, I think where it really falls down is, is, is on the investment advice. It's kind of yeah, like, whole, you know, get some ETFs and mutual funds and pay cash for real estate. And, right. and what happened at the end of 10 or 15 years of, of doing that was we owned no real estate and our house still wasn't paid off because we had yeah. so many kids. We felt like we were constantly putting our lives off right? and we were never doing anything. And so we were living so, so frugally and we weren't making any progress in our goals because we weren't using leverage. And so yeah. we did have to kind of bring ourselves around to more of the rich dad mm-hmm. um, mindset. Yeah. We're trying right. to do rich dad uh, with Dave Ramsey. And it just, it, it just it didn't. Yeah. They, and, and that's, I mean, it's partially entertainment. It, like uh, it is. I mean, it, I, I do think it's kind of like, I'll put it like almost like CrossFit, like it, CrossFit can be great <laughs> for lots of people. And it, yes. Dave Ramsey has done a lot of good, and, yeah. you know, he doesn't care what I think, but, but it, it's not a matter of, it's just a plug and play. Like this, this is for everybody. And it's like, you're not even listening to what my situation is at all. You don't know what would work best for me. Yeah. And so same thing I did CrossFit for a while. It's like, you show up and whatever's on the schedule you you do. And it's like, and I think in general, CrossFit's done a lot of good for people, but yeah. it's pretty harmful if you aren't careful. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, and, and you can't, I, I think for people who are in debt and um, for, you know, many people, Dave Ramsey has a lot of quality principles that mm-hmm. should, you know, should, you should apply to your life, but yeah, yeah he's very anti-leverage. He's very anti-infinite banking, which is a whole different story, um, which has to do with leverage as well. But yeah, so you you pivoted your mindset and yes. you were able, and then you moved more toward the rich dad uh, mm-hmm. kind of approach. What does that mean for the for the listener out there? What does that mean? Um, leverage of yep. other people's money, um, leverage of other people's time, which means yep. partners. So Dave Ramsey's very anti-partnership as well. Mm-hmm. Um and leverage of other people's knowledge and skills. So partnerships with people and partnerships with people for money. So whether it's a loan or equity partners, and when you realize that you can leverage um, other people's money, skills, time, um, then you realize that there's no ceiling to that. And so the way that it was explained to me best was um, a local fund manager. They, they manage an institutional fund and we were at a mastermind together. And I was really grappling with this idea of scaling my business and he was trying to encourage me to get out of the multifamily syndication game and start a fund. And he said, you already, you're already doing it. You already do the SEC Reg D funds for when you're syndicating for these multifamily deals. You already know the laws. You already know how to raise capital. You already know how to do this. And he said, if you just go and you just shift your focus from asset management and finding these deals, just go raise money. And then you can place them with um, skilled operators. He said, how much, how much did you raise your potential to earn income when you went from being a stay-at-home mom to a photographer? And I said, oh, I raised it quite a bit. He said, well, what about when you went from being a photographer to a real estate investor? And I said, quite a bit again. I mean, that was a big mindset shift right there. He said, what about when you decided that you weren't going to do just residential fix and flips wholesales, that you were going to do commercial real estate, big stuff, not just duplexes and, and 12 plexes that you were going to go for the big stuff, the hundred plus units. I said, oh, wow, that just that just blew the lid off. That just blew my abundance mindset all to pieces. And, and he's kind of doing this with his hands and I'm blowing it off. And then he said, if you became a multifamily syndicator and you became a fund manager and the hand just went off the scale, he said, that's the difference between what you can earn as a multifamily syndicator and a fund manager. He said, so if you're going to be working, you might as well put your effort to the place where it is going to be the most valuable, where it will have the most leverage. And so that mindset shift of how to leverage mm-hmm. was really yeah. what changed what changed between mm-hmm. being able to think about things from, I want a couple of rentals, paid off rentals, Dave Ramsey style, right. to I'm going to be a fund manager and go right. blow the water off this. So explain the difference between a, you know, so you're saying with a syndication, you go find a multifamily deal and then you go raise some money to fund it, right? Is that with one property usually, right? Yeah. Um, whereas a fund, you're focused on the raising raising of the capital first, and then you're going out and placing that capital with operators who actually are managing individual deals. Is that is that correct? Yeah. So you can have a single offering fund or a multi-offering fund. So single offering is what I was doing where there's one property and the fund is very, very specific to that property. It's this address. We're going to do exactly these things and we're going to expecting um, these kinds of returns. Mm -hmm. And that's what you basically go sell to your investors. I hate to use the word sell because Mm -hmm. there are opportunities that you're giving them and and all of that, but but that's what you disclose to your investors that you, what you have going on. 
And with a multi-offering fund, it's like, these are the kinds of properties that we're going to be doing. This is the Mm -hmm. kind of investment we're going to be in. You can get pretty specific. Like we're going to do these three properties. Right, right. Or we're going to do this type of asset. And so funds can really be the sky is the limit. You can design them however you want. The question Mm -hmm. is, is, um, can you sell that fund? So a blind pool, because if they don't know what they're investing in, it could be like, I don't know what I'm going to invest in, but I'm amazing. So you should just put some money with me and I'm sure I'll find a good place for it. And people (laughs) might invest in that if you're Grant Cardone, but most people would not. And so the more specific that you can get, the better. Um, But the more general you can get, the better, Mm. right? And so finding that balance between those two things is really the difference between a fund and raising money for a single offering. Got it. Okay. Yeah, because we have a a note fund and it's more, you know, it's uh, we raise capital. We, We have a general idea of what, asset type we're going to be buying, but I have no idea which assets I'm buying yet. Exactly. Um, so that's more like the, the fund model that you're talking about. But um, so, um, and and so where does it stand today? Are you, are you running a fund right now or what, what's your business look like right now? Well, I came at it from a little bit of a different angle than a regulation D fund because um, the problem, the main problem that I have in my business is I'm really actually not good at raising money from limited partners. <laughs> Which you really need to be good at if you're going <laughs> to raise money from limited partners. And so uh, I'm, I'm figuring most of your listeners know something about how the SEC governs um, the legalities, the regulations around raising money. So if people are going to put money in and they're not going to do any work, they have no say, they're right. a limited partner, whether they're putting it in as equity or whether they're putting it in as debt. There are rules mm-hmm. that where you have to follow about how yeah. you raise money. I'm actually okay from raising money from debt partners, debt limited partners. I really just have not had success from mm. equity limited the equity partners. Side. Gotcha. Yeah, because most of the people that I attract tend to be um, other entrepreneurs who have the money of a limited partner, maybe 100 grand, 250 grand, somewhere around there. And they'll contact me and they'll say, hey, I want to do a deal because I'm good at joint ventures. Um, right. But I was doing small enough deals, like maybe I only needed two or $300,000 and we could go buy a crappy class D property in a smaller town. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was raising that, but then when I started doing much larger stuff and we're doing six, $7 million raises, mm-hmm. I can't have 20, 30 joint venture partners in there. It's illegal. And first of all, like who yeah. wants to juggle that many, that right. many people. And so um, we had a deal. <laughs> this is, this is probably the biggest professional adversity I've ever had. We had a deal that we were buying. It was a 200 plus unit in Texas and we couldn't raise money for it because mm. um, it's just raising money from limited partners is, is it's a specialized skill. And our team mm-hmm. that we put together, we were just not getting the job done. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, we let that deal go and we lost all of our due diligence money. We lost a bunch of earnest money. Um, I paid back the earnest money partners um, and I paid for one partner who didn't have the cash to pay his portion of it. I just, I lost a lot of money in that deal. Mm. And what I learned from that was, do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to keep scaling? Do I want to keep raising money on a clock? And I'm obviously really struggling with raising money from limited partners. And I kept having people reach out. I thought I had the money for that. I thought I could do mm-hmm. it. I had so many people reach out and say that, hey, I want to put money in a deal. But when I went to go do the raises, they all wanted to be co-GP. They didn't want gotcha. to be limited partners. And limited so partners, I was... Yeah kind of whining about this to one of my joint venture partners who also happens to be a securities attorney and whose dad runs an institutional fund Mm -hmm. and just saying like the raising LP is so much harder than I thought Mm -hmm. it was going to be. And I said, I have millions of dollars here with co-GPs, small Mm -hmm. co-GPs. I I, I can't use it. 
there's nothing I can do with it because I can't form gigantic joint ventures. And he said, well, it sounds like what you're describing is an investment club. And I was like, okay, now this is, it wasn't just, yeah. A, oh yeah, that's hard. You better learn how to raise money from limited partners. He right. had that background and that knowledge and he was yeah. in my network right. um, and he sent me home with a research project and there's nothing I love better than a good research project. So <laughs> I home and I, and I took this, basically this massive failure of this deal that fell through yeah. where I lost I lost almost as much money that year as my husband makes in a year. Oh, it, was, it was devastating. Yeah, that's, that's, and then not only that, I mean, it's just to pile on while we're at it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but just the, I mean, it's probably, you know, your pride and just, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can't, I, that's, I'm not saying I'm immune to that. It just, uh, that, that sounds very challenging because you kind of walk away with your tail between your legs and then lose all this money and, yeah pay people back and um yeah that goes against the whole like oh well if you find a good deal all the money just shows up magically it's just <laughs> i don't think that's no. always always the case so it doesn't um, but, but at the same time that experience is what gave birth yeah. to the pivot and yeah. it's what gave birth to the investment club and so we're right. working on our third and fourth deal right now that we closed okay. the first two in in quarter one and quarter two and now we have um, more than a, almost two dozen people who now through the club have done their first co-GP deal. And then we've awesome. also got some, some small fund managers in there who are just looking for places to put their capital that they're good at raising LP, LP capital and they're looking for good deals to put it. And what we're really good at in the club is meeting good operators and finding the deals and screening good deals. So I have way more deals than I have money. Awesome. And I mean, if people want to go in as limited partners, we've got great opportunities for them. But if people want to get their toes wet as a co-GP, mm-hmm. there's never been an easier way to do it. Um, and it took us, we've been in operation for about a year and it took us a while to get all of the legal um, hoops jumped through and also getting all the cats herded in the right direction. But right. Um, I'm really excited about what we're building because for the first time, you're not paying $30,000 to a guru and learn all about <laughs> it. And never three years later, still haven't done a deal. The club is completely free because I don't want to deal with the and SEC. What's the, what's the name of the club? It's, it's, we're doing that right now. We're actually reorganizing and rebranding everything. Gotcha. Find okay. out more about it at, on my website. Um, yep. it, and what's your, what's your website? I mean, we'll, it's we'll, a, it's <laughs> sorry. It's a www.highrise.group. It's H I G H R I S E. And um, basically, after we did our first couple of deals, we realized we had something pretty cool here. And it was able to fulfill a lot of um, holes in the industry for people who were really struggling to, to build this business and were really frustrated. Um, and we uh, recently just got to the point where it, I can't run it by myself anymore. Rather than starting to charge money for it and create all this, I said, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna run it like I run my homeschool, and you all have to run it. So we basically formed committees and created um, people with jobs, and I basically get to function inside of my area of of expertise and control what I'm good at controlling, and the rest of it I. I got to delegate and uh, I'm really, really enjoying what the club is turning into and how people are building, um, building what they need to make their businesses successful. That's really cool. That's what yeah, I'm and it, proud of. And it, it came out of, like you said, just reflecting on a failure. I mean, you know, whatever you don't want to call it, a learning lesson, people have different names for it, but it's not something you, you know, you had something professional go sideways, mm-hmm. not the way you wanted it to. And you, but you didn't, 
just quit. I mean, you were talking to someone who's plugged in in the industry. Um, and that, that speaks to networking and just, um, you know, the, uh, being a part of something, a mastermind or something bigger than yourself, because I don't, I don't know everything. You don't know everything. So, um, <laughs> so that's really cool. And now, now you feel like you're moving, you're able to focus more on using your strengths mm-hmm. and, um, your skill set from your previous experience. Um, yep. and, and then let other people who are really good at raising capital or whatever else underwriting run with, run with that <laughs> underwriting. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. I'm, I'm really curious. I know there's some other uh, groups like that out there, but um, yeah, I feel like those are, it's only going to grow because as people get, I mean, just, you know, people are lots of people looking for alternative investments just for um, numerous reasons. Uh, and, but, but they don't, most people don't have, the time to, you know, and I've found with notes, we were talking about this before is at the end of the day, most people end up deciding whether they want to be an active or passive investor. They might be both. I'm both right. But, um, but, and there certainly is a middle ground there, but, um, but you don't always know. And that's what you were talking about before is, is you don't, um, you know, the, the push is to scale, right? Oh, you got to scale, scale, scale. Well, maybe there's an in-between there. And it sounds like that's what, Yes. your uh, investment club uh, ha- can offer as well, right? Yeah, for people like me who I'm, I just realized I wasn't cut out to be a principal sponsor because to do to do that, you have to be really a great asset manager and you have to be building a business and put people and keep key players in place to be running a business. And I just didn't want to build a business. Again, like you said, trading out of the same problem where now I have a job even though I retired, right. my husband, it just, it wasn't a good fit for our lifestyle. And so in order to scale back and stop being a principal sponsor, but not just go straight to being a limited partner um, right. and, and really operating a fund would have just been the same thing. It's running a fund business instead of a syndication business. Um, and so that wasn't a good fit for me either. Um, I actually mm-hmm. took my partner's dad out to lunch and just grilled him for a couple of hours and just said like, tell me the life of an institutional fund manager right. uh, CEO and just tell me what this is like. And at the end of the meeting, he just sat back and he said, no, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't for you. And I was like, good. That's all I need. I think that's, 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 <laughs> that's very good advice right there. Cause we just, we just follow sometimes and we don't take the, we don't create the space to think about where do I want to be? What do I want my life to look like in five or 10 years or even next year? So, yep. okay, go talk to someone who's doing it <laughs> and see if you yep. want to do it. And, and chances are the answer might be no. Um, you know, so that's really good. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to rapid fire, go through some questions and, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Yep. Um, what's one thing that people misunderstand about you? Um, I People assume that because I talk a lot and I'm actually not a very good conversationalist, that I'm not a good listener. Um, but uh, I'm actually a really good listener. It's just I do better um, if I'm in a situation where I can listen to you on a podcast or I can mm-hmm. watch your YouTube channel or I can read your stuff on social media. Um, face-to-face, I tend to take over and dominate a conversation. And so people will laugh a lot about how my husband must be a really good listener. To compete with. <laughs> um, but I, I guarantee I know the names of your kids and your dogs and, and, and this type of thing. I know a lot. I'm always watching. I'm always observing. I'm always listening, but mm-hmm. it doesn't always come out. in across that way. Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would it be and why? I don't know if I want to admit this one. <laughs> Probably Elon Musk, honestly. Okay. He is 
he is a conflicted um, human. Um, yeah. I, when I first was exposed to him um, years ago, uh, I was watching a video and they were talking about some of the things that he was working on that were going to change the world. And they actually referred to him as our Lord and Savior, Elon Musk. And I was like, who is who is this guy? And right. the stuff he was doing was just off the wall, fascinating. Right. Um, but as time goes through, especially when they were looking at removing him from the Tesla board and he was having to say, like, I have a problem with time and I have a problem with admitting timelines for things. And he started looking at his own shortcomings and then he goes and just spews it all out on Twitter and his, his relationship issues with his, mm-hmm. and you're just watching him be this incredibly complex and conflicted kind of person. But he's the kind of person that I could just sit down with and talk for hours about. He's, he's kind of an unschooler. He knows a lot about human behavior and relationships. We could talk about business all day long. Obviously he'd turn my head in circles, but science data, like all yeah. of the things that I'm a, a dilettante, he could just yeah. really fill my, fill yeah. my call. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a really good one. I like that. He's, I mean, he's Elon's brilliant. And I mean, yeah, I'm curious to see where the Twitter thing goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's a, that's a good one. And yeah, I know he's had a lot of relationship failures, I guess we would say. Right. But um, Amber heard, <laughs> like you said, he's, he's, he's a human, right. Yeah. He's just a brilliant, complicated human. Um, what's your favorite meal? Or one of your favorite meals doesn't have to be your favorite meal. Oh, I'm not allowed to talk about food. No. <laughs> Why not? not? Um, okay, we can fast uh, forward. Yeah, that's another adversity right there. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So that's a loaded. That's a loaded question. <laughs> Got it. All right. How about, in your opinion, what's one of the most important personality traits for someone? to be successful in entrepreneurship or real estate? what's It doesn't have to be the number one thing. There's obviously multiple things, but um, I guess it's kind of like the bigger pockets question. What separates people from you know, the successful from those who give up or fail? Um, I will tell this one in a story. I know we were talking about how people learn best through stories. I'll try and keep it short. It's not exactly my forte, but... Um, uh, we were talking one time about how I'm not very detail oriented and I, I don't like, like, like to dive deep into the numbers and the nitty gritty on this. Uh, I know a lot about a lot, but in a particular deal, am I really going to read all the fine print? The answers is no. And I, I really want to make sure that my partners are aware of this up front um, and that they understand that, that their roles are their roles and my role is my role. And my partner was laughing one time and he said, he said, you know, so-and-so. And, and he was describing this guy's business and an uber successful, huge income, just, and, and he, he said, he's so scatterbrained ADHD. He's all over the place. And that's one of the reasons he's so successful is because he's a, he's a huge thinker and he can really zoom out and look at um, all of these weird um, problem solving, dreaming type of things. And he, he, my partner turned to me and he said, you know, he makes you look like a CEO. I mean, sorry, <laughs> I didn't even say the right thing. He said, he makes you look like an accountant. Oh, and okay. I just, sorry, right. we're going to edit that part too. He, said, he, makes <laughs> you look, he makes you look like an accountant. And I stopped and I thought to myself, like somebody who's so much more successful than me that I, I yeah. try and zoom out big picture problem yeah. solver. And there's this guy over there that makes me look like an accountant. And I thought, <laughs> okay, I'm obviously embarrassed about how little I'm involved in the details, right, but right. that comment made me realize I need to be less involved in the details. <laughs> I need to do something even more. And so I've, yeah. been working on, I've been working on that. Uh, that's, that's, I just, uh, 
my wife just started a new job about a month ago and she, it's been challenging for her. And there's a ton of detail and a lot of moving parts and all these um, things she's struggling with, frankly. But um, I was trying to relay the point that uh, tons of successful people would be awful at that job. Like she's already way better than like probably Elon Musk or, you know, would be at that job um, because that it's really not about, about that. So everyone's different. We all yep. have different skill sets. And so you're not really a details person, but way more than that's not holding you back and you need to be more big picture focused mm-hmm. is what you're, what you're creative, saying, right? Creative problem solving. How can you solve problems that have market value? That's basically a successful entrepreneur right there. And yeah. you can't be a creative problem solver if you've got your head down all the time. Now on certain things, I can be very detail oriented mm-hmm. because I'm the one in charge. I'm the only one doing it. Um, right. I know all the kids and the schedules and where they're supposed to be and all that, but because there's no one else in charge of it. But if I can delegate and put somebody else in charge of that, so I can continue to zoom out more and more and more and be right. more of a creative problem solver, um, then that's really where you want to spend most of your time as an entrepreneur. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. What's a book or two that you'd recommend? Well, that nonviolent communication one, Marshall yep. Rosenberg, excellent, excellent. And I think the ones that are most life-changing are the ones that you're probably the worst at. And so somebody might read that and be like, stuff, right? <laughs> Duh, I've been doing yeah. this for 10 years. <laughs> exactly. But for me, not knowing how to communicate effectively, um, that was that was a really tough one. And then there, there are two more, again, along the lines of communication, because that's mm-hmm. something I pride myself about being good at, but because... Mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time working on it. And so now I feel good at it. Um, and I think that if you work at something, you can start out at something that you're naturally, maybe not that talented at, but when you recognize that and really start to focus on it, uh, you mm-hmm. can become good at it. So there's that, I think Chris Voss and nothing split mm-hmm. the difference. Told the yeah. Story never, never split the difference. That's really good. A great negotiator, even though the yeah. guy he learned from had no idea what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And Chris became the great one. And that guy was still you know, like a B cop because he mm-hmm. never really identified what he was doing yeah. and did and went on to become great at it. So communication books uh, like that tend to really um, get me excited. I always think they're amazing because it's something I've had to put a lot of effort into. Yeah. And it's a critical skill. That's, and there's so much, we all have a lot of room for growth with that, with communication. Um, that's really good. So, all right. Well, two more questions. How do you like to serve others? That's the first one. Um, this has been a struggle for me over the years because I have so many kids that I've had to kind of come to terms with the fact that I'm serving by serving my children and making responsible young adults. And so at first I want to go out and change the world and I want to be feeding all the hungry and I want to be, um, but that's, a, that is a, actually a form of narcissism. It's called mm. the community narcissist who goes out and they're, they're just talking about all the great things that they do and sharing it. And so I think that my need to go out and change the world actually points at a little bit of ego. And I've had to dial that ego back to say, mm. I created these little humans and I'm going to make them the best contributors to society that I can possibly possibly mm. do. And that has definitely been a big step back in ego for me. So that's, that's the way that I like to serve. Um, but now that they're older, um, because they get a discount on their car insurance if they are young volunteers and volunteer regularly i've been able to use that as a little bit of leverage to go out and do some of those volunteer things that i Interesting. never really okay. was able to do when they were younger my daughter turned 15 today so i'll have to uh, look into that, Ask about that one. <laughs> it's, 
it's not that much. It's only like maybe 5%, but you know, they're at the humane society and we're volunteering at the charity garden. And, you know, it feels just really great to have something that's been nagging at you for so many years. I, that we did a little bit, but almost never. And now yeah. we're finally, finally getting into it. And uh, it just feels great to volunteer. You're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Now I can relate to that. It's, I always feel like I should be volunteering somewhere and I'm not usually. <laughs> All right. And then last but not least, where can our listeners find you online? Um, if you go to highrise.group slash contact, you can use whatever way you want to contact me on there, whatever's easiest. I've got links to all the socials that I use. There's a calendar link that you can book a phone call with me. Don't hesitate. I love, I love those 30 minute calls. It's one of my favorite things to do, like podcast interviews and those 30 minute calls. If I could just only do that in my business, <laughs> that is what I, that is what I would do and delegate everything else. Yeah, so you've been, um, you've been on a bunch of podcasts and you were on bigger pockets, right? Yeah. I just, how did, how did you pull that one off? <laughs> I always joke. It's like, you need to be a woman because they're looking for a little bit more diversity. So uh, I just started listening to episodes when they would say like the type of guests they wanted on. And yeah. I, I, just I do, I do remember Brandon specifically saying that uh, yeah. I kind of stopped listening to be, to be honest with you, but um, <laughs> once he one not, not when he said that, yeah. but once Brandon left and then I don't know. Um, but, uh, I, no, it's, I, it is true. Another listen, because David's taken it in a, in a very different direction lately. Okay. First, I was a little disappointed too, but David's definitely doing some new stuff, okay. and um, I'm actually really liking it because okay. it's it's definitely some new content and forcing me to think about some things a little bit nice. different. I'll have to try again. I, I was enjoying the Sunday ones when they were doing like more of the mindset, mm-hmm. um, less you know granular real estate mechanics, mm-hmm. I guess, but. Yeah. I'll have to uh, give it another go. So I cut you off though. So no, contact, you, contact you however they want through your website. Yeah. And and I, uh, and if you want, if, if anyone's looking for a awesome podcast guest, you're open to that as well, right? Yeah, would love it. Come and join the club, learn how to invest in commercial real estate. Uh, we meet every Monday night at 6.30 and we've got a Slack channel. And the reason we do that instead of like a more public Facebook group is we do discuss um, 506B deals in there and we like to keep it nice and private. So we don't gotcha. want operators deals getting out there in the public. Even though we're not offering them, we just, we just want right. to keep word of mouth. And I know I said last question, like three questions ago, but um, how do you define commercial real estate or, you know, for your, for your group anyway. Um, Cause that, that is sometimes a nebulous term. Like what is commercial real estate? Uh, we use the lender definition. So gotcha. anything, any property that is for non-residential use or mm-hmm. it is for residential use, it has to be five units or above. Okay. Um, yeah. Right now we specialize in multifamily because that's what I know best. And, you know, I was the one running the club, but now that we're branching out into more committees, um, we would like to diversify into, especially mobile home parks, um, stealth storage are the two that mm-hmm. people seem to be most interested in. Uh, right. But I also do multifamily development, uh, some ground up. So we're looking at some um, pretty exciting um, ground up projects right now. So uh, if there's something that you know about, like uh, we've got a an RV park uh, investor in the group. And so yes. we, we are able to look at a wider variety of deals because we have experts in those deal types who can inform yeah. us. If somebody brings us a deal and I don't know anything about it, I'm like, hey, Joe, is this a good deal or not? So it's actually really nice to, have, to yeah. leverage one another that way. Well, and also this, nobody knows really what's going to happen with the economy here. So it's Everything. nice to have experts across 
many different asset classes and strategies. So that's that's good. And the group is free, you said, right? It's, it's free. And there are two reasons I do it. One, I don't want to start another business for reasons we already discussed. Mm-hmm. And two, um, if I charge for it, I might have to get into some SEC stuff where I'm running an investment company or I'm a registered investment advisor. Yeah. And that's not it at all. We are a club. We all make our own investment decisions. We all put our own knowledge in there. And we're not asserting anything or charging money for anything. Um, and that's that's what I need out of it. And that's what attracts um, other people as we create it to be what we want it to be. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm going to have to check it out. So Definitely. We well, meet live you. once a month for people who live in Salt Lake City, Jamie. Okay. Live once a month. Nice. All right. Well, Emma, thank you so much for joining me. Um, this has been really good. I know we had uh, some a couple of technical issues, but uh, we'll work through that. That's no big deal. But thank you so much. I know um, people are really going to be able to relate to several things that you said. I, I just, you know, you definitely have dealt with a lot of adversity, and it's it's not. Um, look, the episode I just released today. I mean, you know, he was raised with without running water. Lewis, mm-hmm. no running water, no electricity, and dealt with all kinds of, you know. Um, abuse and i mean just really just bouncing around from different home home to home and like it's almost like okay we got that it's like we don't we can stop comparing right (laughs) um but you've dealt with really quite a bit and so it's really impressive how you've been able to you you don't have a victim mentality at all you just figure out figure out a way to to get through it or around it and um you know, and deal with that adversity and get to that abundance mindset. And you're definitely um, living proof that it's not always all about scaling either. It's also um, focusing on quality versus quantity. Um, and I think uh, I'm gonna have to go back and re-listen to this one because you have dropped a lot of knowledge. So we appreciate it. So thanks a lot, Emma. Hey, it was a pleasure being on, Jamie. And I think you're the first interviewer who's ever made me cry. <laughs> I don't know if I'm proud of that, but I guess it was an eventful interview then. Um, Pleasure. To our our listeners out there, thank you so much for spending your most valuable resource with us. We appreciate it. And please give us a positive rating and review. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Hey there, it's Jamie Bateman. Ever felt boxed in by life's challenges? dive into my new book from adversity to abundance inspiring stories of mental physical and financial transformation available now on amazon from a former bank robber's redemption to a young entrepreneur's victory over hurdles these stories are not just inspiration they're the roadmaps to your transformation whether for you or as a powerful gift to friends and family especially those who might not tune into podcasts This book is a beacon to a life of abundance. Ignite that inner fire and set your course to the life you've imagined. Purchase yours today on Amazon and light the path for someone you love.